Sony. Hello, Canada. Today's date is August 21st, 2022. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense, Canada's Issues in Under an Hour. It is Tony in Saskatchewan, here for real this time. I have to apologize. This morning I was in a hurry to get out after recording the show and did not do my usual fail-safe of actually listening to the show before I, I went out and discovered shortly thereafter that I had recorded 45 minutes of dead air because I did not turn on the microphone on my phone before I recorded. So that problem is now fixed. Microphone is on and now I am recording. So now I will record the show again for all of you. So my apologies to those of you who did download the show this morning already and discovered all that dead air. Completely my fault, problem rectified, and away we go again. So you are stuck with just me today. Lewis is away. He and his wife have safely landed in Nova Scotia, and we are now enjoying a, a holiday time for the two of them, and I hope they have a great time. I am very jealous, as I have not been to the Maritimes. The only places in Canada I have not been are the Maritimes and Yukon, so I... Uh, Certainly want to cross those two off the list before I leave this, this earth. I suppose, to be technical, I have been to the Yukon, but I was a baby at the time, so I have no memory of it. So I need to get back. All right, so let's get right to it again on the show today. Jean Charest is not okay. Manitoba's minimum wage, not so minimal. Tony is mad at maid. Is hockey killing the planet? And more. So, all right, so let's start right in that order. Jean Charest. Well, we've known for quite some time that Jean Charest is not okay. Now, there was a poll that was done by Leger, and I have a funny feeling that they surveyed a thousand Canadians in Canada's biggest cities and I know that they always have their their pool of of constituents that they poll, every polling company. And it's usually the same pool of people that sign up that are willing to do it. Because obviously they don't want to waste a bunch of time phoning people that just tell them off or hang up or whatever. Now, this poll done by Leger was polling random Canadians, so not necessarily members of the Conservative Party of Canada. And these random Canadians that were polled said that 22% of them prefer Jean Charest as a prime minister, as opposed to Pierre Poilievre, whom only 17% preferred as a prime minister. Now, what the article I read, or read articles, plural, that I read in regards to this poll did not say was who any of the other options were as prime minister. For, for example, was Justin Trudeau on that list? Was... Joe Biden on that list, or whomever. I mean, that's the thing with polls. It's always very, I'm always very skeptical because polling, whenever a poll is commissioned by whomever, they can very easily say, well, these are the results that I want, and the polling company will skew their poll in order to get those results. For example, would you prefer to hear Lewis and Tony on the radio every week or 
Osama bin Laden. No, well, I'd rather listen to Lewis and Tony talk. So suddenly the poll says, well, you guys are really popular. Just as an example. All right, and as a side note, by the way, there is something serious in the air today that's really affecting my allergies. So if you do hear the odd sneeze or cough, my apologies. All right, so anyway, anyway back to Mr. Jean Charest. So the choice of Canadians by 22% to 17% for Jean Charest. Well, I can almost guarantee you who was not included in this poll as far as who the pollsters contacted was Generation Z, Gen Z, because if we say it the American way, Gen Z are the youngest voters, 18 to 24 years old. Gen Z is firmly in the Pierre Polyev camp, and a lot of the younger millennials are very firmly behind Pierre Polyev as well. And a lot of these younger voters and people who've never voted before, period, of many ages... These people aren't on the radar of pollsters, for one thing, and they're not on the radar at all. And a lot of these people, disaffected, frustrated, angry, are firmly in Pierre Poilievre's camp. Um, I've seen it myself. I've been to a Pierre Poilievre rally. I've seen footage of many Pierre Poilievre rallies across the country. And over and over again, I can tell you flat out, it is not angry old white men as the mainstream media is trying to paint it out. It is Gen Z. It is young voters who are frustrated, who can't get good jobs, who have lost two years of their life through lockdowns, etc. It is those 30-year-olds living in their parents' basement because they can't even afford to rent a decent place to live, let alone to buy one. And they're angry. And what the mainstream media doesn't want to admit is that the liberals have become the establishment. The liberals are the new elites and NDP along with them. These leftists are the new elitist establishment snobs that are now, are now the man. They are the ones that, that the younger generation are now fighting against. And they have chosen conservatism as their tool to fight against the man. So it is those people that Pierre Polyev has largely attracted, as well as older voters who simply want to get their country back, who are tired of the BS that Lewis and I have been pointing out to you for four and a half years now on this show. And it is those people who are going to be voting for the first time or the first time in many elections that are going to make a big difference. So we're in an election called today, and we're Pierre Poilievre, the leader of the Conservative Party. Watch out. So, but not, you know, all hope is not lost for Jean Charest because there is an election this fall, later this fall, November, I believe it is, in Quebec, provincial election, and Jean Charest's old party, the Liberal, the Liberal Party of Quebec, just happens to be a party that is, in, is quite in disarray right now. So perhaps Jean Charest can step back into provincial politics and save his Quebec Liberal Party and, you know, pull the same stunt that's being pulled by, well, some of his cohorts. For example, <clears throat> we talked about Patrick Brown, who 
who we kind of always assumed was going to end up running for mayor of Brampton again, and confirmed that as soon as he was kicked out of the CPC leadership race for some electoral elections act violations, some uh, campaign finance improprieties, and you know, confirmed what we all thought that, well, if he doesn't win, he will just run for the mayor anyway. And yes, he is now running for mayor of Brampton. And he joins is joined, of course, by Andrea Horvath, who lost as you know, lost the race for premier of Ontario for the fourth time. She did win her seat as MPP, but it's still decided that she is going to run for mayor of Hamilton. And I don't know if she has resigned her seat as MPP. I don't believe she has, but I'm, I'm willing to be corrected on that. But now joining those two losers is another loser who was the leader of the Ontario Liberal Party, Stephen Del Duca. Stephen Del Duca has decided now he is going to run for mayor of Vaughan. Hey, if I can't get elected provincially, let's run for mayor. Hmm. Seems like a common theme among these Ontario politicians. Um, maybe they should all know that somebody in Ottawa might want to know that, you know, Mayor Jim Watson is not running again. Um, so far there's two candidates that I know of, three possibly, that are running for mayor. So maybe there's a loser politician who wants to run for mayor of Ottawa. Well, you've only got a couple more days to get your name in the race. So, uh, now I'm going to wait to see if the CBC panelist who, uh, talked about Stephen Del Duca in the provincial race is going to chime in again and say he can't win because he's bald and bald politicians don't do well. And uh, you remember us saying that on a show not long ago? <sighs> yes, the, uh, the, what did Lewis say? The hair bigots. Yes, the hair bigots. So, um, now look, I don't have a dog in any of those hunts, obviously, because I'm just some expat Albertan who lives out in the middle of the prairies here. But we have a lot of listeners in that golden horseshoe. And if I could advise any of you, the one thing I would advise you to do is don't reward these morons for losing and then deciding, oh, I'm going to pick up my marbles and go here because I just want to be a career politician wherever I can be a politician, Patrick Brown. And I would say, you know what? Maybe Patrick Brown should actually be a sleazy used car salesman because that's certainly what he reminds me of. And maybe Andrea Horvath could just say, yep, I haven't had any ideas that have lit up the voters of Ontario for four terms as Ontario NDP leader. So maybe it's time I just quit. Maybe Stephen Del Duca should say, yeah, you know what? I failed in two elections in a row provincially to get a seat and I failed to grow support for the Liberal Party of Ontario with any significant way, maybe it's time I just realize that I'm a loser. But nope, they're likely going to run again and Andrew Horvath will likely win uh, as mayor of Hamilton. I'm not so sure about Patrick Brown. I hope that anybody listening out there will vote against Patrick Brown. I don't know who else is running against him, but I'm going to find out because I'd like to interview any of his opponents just to give them at least a little bit of exposure. And as for Stephen Del Duca, well, maybe if he uh, doesn't win Mayor of Vaughan, maybe he can go work at Canada's Wonderland. I don't know. At least it would be in his own backyard. So, Anyway, moving along, I, so, I, so I don't be accused of 
being a hair bigot, the province of Manitoba, one province to the east of me, has decided they are going to increase their minimum wage rather drastically. Um, currently, the minimum wage in Manitoba is eleven ninety-five an hour. On October 1st, so basically five weeks from now, the, that minimum wage will increase to $13.50. That's $1.55 in one shot. And then April 1st, so six months after that, it will get bumped up another 65 cents to $14.15 an hour. Now that's, that's quite a big shock. Now I uh, decided when I read this news to get a hold of a friend of mine who's uh, a business owner in Manitoba, happens to be a, a lady I grew up with in Alberta. Uh, haven't seen her for almost a decade, so I actually miss her incredibly, but at least we still keep in touch. Anyway, I asked her her thoughts as a business owner, what's going to happen with this very drastic increase in minimum wage? And her first response was, well, it's going to have to get passed on to the customer. And, and we all know that the consumer always ends up paying in the end. And in her case, she does have employees, but she pays them well above the minimum wage. So, I mean, there's no concern there that she's going to have to start bumping wages up for her staff, at least not immediately at any rate. And I'll get to that in a second, but it certainly is a big hit for those businesses who are paying minimum wage or close to minimum wage at any rate. I mean, as an example, if I'm paying somebody $12 an hour and then suddenly have to give them a dollar and a half increase five weeks from now, that's really not enough time to make the price adjustments for the product or service that I'm selling to make that adjustment on the minimum wage. Now, the Manitoba government has suggested that there could be some business supports to help them out with, with the, uh, the increase in the payroll taxes, et cetera, or increase in payroll, I should say. Well, I suppose payroll taxes too, because they'll be paying more. And I thought to myself, so what you're wanting is taxpayers to give themselves a raise effectively, because you want them to start paying for some of that wage increase. Now, obviously not all taxpayers are a minimum wage, but you know what I'm saying. Taxpayers in Manitoba will be paying for a wage increase for taxpayers. If that's not a Ponzi scheme, I don't know what is. Let's take money out of your out of your left pocket so we can put a little bit of that into your right pocket. It's a very questionable move to say the least. So what does the Manitoba Federation of Labor have to say about this? Well, naturally, because they oppose anything that the government does, because the government happens to be a progressive conservative government in Manitoba, the Manitoba Federation of Labor says, hey, 1350 is not enough. Five weeks from now, that minimum wage should be 1615 an hour. That's right, $4.20 an hour higher than it is right now. Whew, now that would be a little bit tough to take, wouldn't it? Um, when I talked to my friend about it, she just said it's absolutely ridiculous with a recession looming. And as Lewis had pointed out already here, and I believe him that it is, that it's going to be very difficult to absorb higher costs for labor when you're not going to be able to pass on that higher cost to your consumers with inflation in every other segment of the economy and workers already looking for more money to try to 
keep pace with inflation, it's a lose-lose scenario, and it's really not the time for the government to be imposing more higher costs upon businesses. But here we go. And the point I was going to get to earlier, and this is something that my, my, my friend also is, has to consider, is, so for example, if she has an employee who's making, say, $14 an hour right now, and the minimum wage goes up to thirteen fifty. Well, suddenly now that employee is going to say, "Well, if minimum wage is thirteen fifty, should I not be worth, you know, more than just fifty percent, fifty cents an hour above minimum wage?" So now that employee will be saying, "Well, maybe my wage should be fifteen or sixteen dollars an hour, to you know be paced above the minimum wage." And this is going to go across every sector in the Manitoba economy where you're going to have workers now saying, okay, so I was barely above minimum wage before, and now I would be at minimum wage. Should my labor not still be worth more than minimum wage? So you're going to be looking again for, for workers who aren't minimum wage workers to be asking for raises. So it's, uh, it's one of those downward spirals that's, well, the timing is bad and... How many more hits can small businesses take? As it is right now, one quarter of businesses in Canada, small businesses, are ready to pack it in. And that doesn't always mean go bankrupt. Oftentimes it just means we're winding the business down, we're shutting our doors, and we'll sell it off to pay off our debts and, and walk away. Now, bankruptcy is always the last option for small business owners and likely is not going to be a, a big spike but yeah, you're going to see a lot of business owners who just say to hell with it. So I'm, I got my hopes up. I'll keep an eye on this one. It's, I'm not saying that it's unjustified. I'm just saying that it's poor timing. All right, let's move on and let's talk about, well, what's actually making me really angry today. And that is made the medical assistance in dying legislation. Now, We've talked about this several times on the show and Lewis had said in previous shows, he's actually supports MAID. And I had said that, yes, I support MAID as far as the base premise upon which MAID was first implemented. And that is, I agree completely with the Rodriguez case, which is what brought, brought, which the foundations for MAID. The Rodriguez case was back in the 90s, 1993, I believe it was. Sue Rodriguez was a terminal cancer patient. She was in an incredible amount of pain that could not be managed. She knew she was going to die. Doctors knew she would die eventually. There was no, there was no hope she was going to beat this. And so MAID was established because of this. They said, yes, being Canadians who have no hope of survival, should have some kind of merciful outlet and that became the medical assistance in dying eventually. Unfortunately, because as we had stated on our last show that the government is on autopilot, bureaucrats are running the show because, well, one reason, because Justin Trudeau has increased the size of the federal bureaucracy by 10,000 civil servants a year since he has been in power. You have a lot of bureaucrats trying to justify their own existence by creating work for themselves and legislating by regulation or just going rogue and doing their own thing. 
And that, I'm afraid, is where MAID has gone. And that is why I have zero support for MAID anymore. I am completely done. I think it's time to shut down MAID. And the latest incident that's happened in this country has convinced me. It is time for MAID to go. Now, let's just give a little bit of background on MAID. I tried to write this down in my notes to make it really coherent and informative to try to build a case. But really, I'm just going to rant about it because every time I did a bit more research, another good point came up and I just got furious more and more and more. The number of MAID cases in Canada, number of MAID deaths in Canada, 2021 was 10,438 across Canada. To put that in perspective, over the last two years, 11,500 Canadians have died on waiting lists for treatment in this country. So basically we're almost two to one people, people choosing to die from MAID as opposed to waiting to die on a wait list in this country. So neither one of those is a good scenario. I get that. And I also get that I could be a hip hypocrite if I supported MAID now, or, or yeah, sorry, I could be a hypocrite for supporting MAID if I chose to, because right in my province of Saskatchewan, we've seen the largest increase in MAID deaths year over year on a percentage basis, 50% increase in the number of made deaths in Canada. Now, in Saskatchewan. Now, when 63% of doctors have said that they would refuse to administer made, A, I say thank you very much, and B, I say that means there's a, there's a minority of doctors who are obviously administering more medical deaths. I find that really disturbing. I find it really disturbing that in 2021, 7.5% of deaths on Vancouver Island were made deaths. So 7.5% of people were euthanized by the public system. Now, we had talked about on this show a lady in Ontario who had a, a terrible scent allergy. She was in Toronto, and she couldn't afford to find suitable housing that was accommodating to this extreme scent allergy. And she applied for MAID. And the reasoning she put on MAID was that she wanted to die, quote, basically due to extreme poverty and was granted the, the death by MAID. We had talked about a gentleman who, I don't remember where in the country he was because I don't think it's stated where he was, who was a very disagreeable patient and was well, obviously annoyed the, the, the caregivers who recommended he should, should take MAID just because he was an SOB. Well, and we recently heard of, and this gentleman decided to start recording the, the staff in the facility he was in so that we can actually quote them. And when they said that he should consider MAID because he was, quote, costing the system north of $1,500 per day, end quote. So... You can pay into this bloated, inefficient healthcare system through your taxes for your whole life. But then when you want that system to take care of you, you're an annoyance because you're costing the system north of $1,500 a day. Um, what the hell do you pay taxes for then? But you should die because you're costing the system too much money. Give me a 
break here, people. So, I mean, Dan Bongino once had said, is Canada euthanizing its poor people? Well, it certainly seems that way, doesn't it? So, this is just annoying the living hell out of me the more I, I, I read about this. There was those cases that I've, that I've read about, that I've told you about with MAID. There was a case of a gentleman in BC who had some mental health problems, went into the hospital to get treated for those mental health issues. His sisters, who had encouraged him to go get treatment, discovered too late that he had a, had been recommended MAID. And the day that he was euthanized with MAID, they heard him screaming in his room minutes before he went in for the procedure. Presumably, maybe he changed his mind. But... Nope, he was offered made, and I guess he must have went for it. Whether he really wanted to or not, we don't know. But in twenty, the Bill C-14 that the Liberal government passed recently did change the language to say that made could be granted to, let's quote the legislation, competent adults whose deaths are reasonably foreseeable, end quote. Reasonably foreseeable. So, well, there's a possibility you could die so why don't we just do you in now and save the system some money talk about bloody ridiculous so what got me the most angry about this was a story and you've probably all heard it canada a canadian armed forces combat veteran and i'm going to stress that he was a combat veteran he didn't want his name published so we don't know who he is we don't know where he lives we so we don't know which Veterans Affairs Canada office he was dealing with, but he did go to Veterans Affairs Canada because he has PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, presumably from his time in combat theater. And he went to Veteran Affairs Canada saying he wanted some help. Well, the Veteran Affairs Canada employee recommended that this gentleman should possibly pursue MAID. And I said, wait, what? This gentleman already offered his life for Canadians. This gentleman already volunteered to give up his life in combat for your way of life, douchebag at Veteran Affairs Canada. He offered to give up his life on the front line so that you, Veteran Affairs Canada douchebag, can sit in your office comfortably on your computer, not have to worry about bullets flying at your head or bombs under your feet, so that you could tell this soldier, well, you didn't die, but maybe you should die now. How about screw you, dude? Or lady, I guess I don't know if uh, the gender of the, uh, the person at Veterans Affairs Canada, but I cannot believe that an organization set up by our bloated, inefficient, worthless government would be uh, hypothetically in service to help our Canadian Armed Forces veterans and instead of helping, saying, well, why don't you just die? Um, I realize you've got PTSD and you want help and your family said your condition was it's improving, but why don't you just die? I know you volunteered to die for us anyway, so why don't we just do it for you? Unbloody real. I mean, is our healthcare system in such poor shape that we just want to start killing off anybody who's a problem to us? And that seems to be what's happening. 
we're offering made to, well, anybody and everybody who's a problem. And I'm not comfortable with that. We are euthanizing poor people. The, you know, the lady in Toronto is a good example. The gentleman who was told he's costing the system too much money. Well, there's another good example. And not necessarily that he is a poor person, but apparently if you cost the system too much money, that's a good reason for you to die. Is that what Justin Trudeau calls the best healthcare system in the world? One that actually just wants you to die instead of, I don't know, taking care of you from cradle to grave as they bragged about all these years? I'm thinking back to doctors that take an oath, the Hippocratic Oath, when the doctors say, you know, I will do no harm. What the hell is killing somebody? Is that not the ultimate amount of harm? Um, the Dan Bongino show, one of his rules is don't get dead. One of the, that's one of his key rules to the show. Don't get dead. Well, uh, apparently if you enter the healthcare system in Canada, you might violate that rule because they might just ask you, do you want to get dead? Because, you I mean, you're costing us a little bit of money and we need this bed. So um, maybe you should get dead. No, no, no. Don't get dead. I'm with Dan Bongino. Don't get dead. So is our system so broke and so broken that we're now going to start killing patients that are disagreeable or that we just don't want to have in the system because they're an inconvenience to us? See, this is the problem with the healthcare funding model. And this is something I have railed about for 20 plus years now is that the last thing the healthcare system wants is actually to treat anybody because our system is funded completely backwards. Our system right now gets a big bucket of money once a year and they're told, spend it all, spend every cent of it and you know, make certain that there's nothing left at the end of the year or we'll cut that budget. And then they go out and they make certain they've got equipment, etc. They spend a lot of money on wages, but if they have to start treating patients, then suddenly they're costing the system money and they're going to burn their budget up if they treat too many patients. So God forbid they want to keep patients in their facilities, especially now with all the, all the COVID patients and they're worried about spikes, etc. So God forbid you actually treat somebody, let's just kill them instead. And those bureaucrats that are behind made, huh, they're all for it. Yeah. Yeah, let's kill some people off. Let's uh, offer it to uh, to a veteran who's got PTSD. Give me a freaking break, Canada. This is ridiculous. And of course, Jagmeet Singh, don't worry, he's got your back. Now, we mocked him a few shows ago when he said the federal government has to spend more money on health care. Well, they do because they continue to increase the spending in health care, provincially and federally, and we're still not getting results. So um, how much is enough? I asked at that time, how much money is enough? How much money is going to make doctors start to care about patients again? How much money is it, is it going to take for bureaucrats to move on, retire, find something better to do than killing Canadians? How much? Well, 
there is no answer to that question because there's no amount of money that is enough. The system itself needs reform. And I get angry about this because I have railed about this for over 20 years, like I just said, that we're funding the system completely backwards. And Lewis and I talked about that in the last show, that we need to fund the system on a patient-based model, not on a budget-based model. We can't just keep pumping blood into that patient on the operating table and expect them to magically heal themselves. We actually have to stitch up the wounds. Now, Ontario is actually making an effort at that, and, and so is Saskatchewan. But we'll talk about Ontario first. Doug Ford put it a little bit better. Uh, Sylvia Jones is healthcare minister. I think she just... Uh, I don't think she's in over her head. I think she just isn't the public speaker who can think on her feet and articulate her ideas the same way that Doug Ford can, or many others who speak in public. Um, essentially, Ontario came up with a five-point plan for the healthcare system. And one thing Doug Ford stressed that Sylvia Jones was unable to articulate properly was that in Ontario... Payment for healthcare services, no matter who delivers them, will be with your OHIP card, which is your Ontario Health Insurance Plan. And that was something that Sylvia Jones could not articulate well enough. But anyway, so the part of the five-point plan is to reduce registration fees and exams for internationally accredited healthcare professionals to move to Ontario. That sounds fantastic, except that Ontario hasn't made the, the step Quebec did to say we control our own immigration. So it's not necessarily up to Doug Ford and the Ontario government to, to determine who comes to Ontario to practice being nurses or doctors. But the, the efforts will be, will be made at least to bring those health professionals in. Also, he said, yes, that patients will be able to access some private surgeries. Hey, why not? There's the Shouldice Centre in Toronto where all, the, all of our... MPs and politicians go, which is a private facility, but that's not for you, you little people. That is for them. So why should not you get access to some of that quick and quality care? And the other things that the, that the Ontario government had talked about, for example, long-term care facilities. Um, currently, there are patients who stay in hospital waiting to get into the, to the long-term care facility of their choice. Well, they shouldn't be in a hospital bed, period. But I understand that that does happen because I've got experience with that very thing. So there's the suggestion that they could move to a different facility while waiting to get into the facility of their choice. And as awful as that sounds, that, yeah, they sometimes have to wait for someone to die in the other facility of their choice before a space frees up. That's just the reality of the situation. Sad, but... So it's not... So there's not a horrible plan on Ontario's part. At least they're making an effort. And that's what they're trying to do here in Saskatchewan as well. But because the Scott Moe Saskatchewan Party government is liberal at heart, I know they've tried to promote themselves as being a conservative government, but their actions don't really prove it with Scott Moe. So... What Scott Moe, his government, has done is they've contracted a, a clinic in Calgary to perform some orthopedic surgeries to help relieve the wait lists here in Saskatchewan. Fantastic idea. Love it. And 
so what they've done is they said, yes, they will 20, sur- 20 a month, 20 surgeries a month can go to this clinic in Calgary, but the Saskatchewan government will only pay for the procedure itself and won't pay the travel expenses for those patients to get to Calgary. And I said, wait, what? So you're telling somebody who lives in, let's say, southeast Saskatchewan and has a nine to 10 hour drive to get to Calgary or two hour drive to get to Regina and then fly to Calgary, for example, and then have to stay somewhere in Calgary and then get themselves back home after the surgery recovery time. That's all going to be on them at a time when people really don't have money. Uh, we just talked about inflation in the, the last segment in Man- with, about the Manitoba government and minimum wage. You're going to expect patients to pay their own freight to get themselves to Calgary to get these, these procedures done when they're already, well, having some mobility issues for one thing because they're waiting for a hip or a knee replacement. It's, it's asinine, especially when you consider that there was no expense spared whatsoever to send COVID patients to, in our case, Ontario, to get taken care of, to get, out, to get into ICU care in, in other provinces. And there was no talk then that any of those patients would have to pay their own way to get themselves to Ontario or back. So I, I'm really confused why, why they would suggest that now. And so when I look back on when Brad Wall was premier in Saskatchewan, and I'm starting to look to compare Brad Wall now, I mean, you've heard me many times talk about how Stephen Harper is Canada's greatest living prime minister. And I still believe that. I'm starting to look at Brad Wall now as the, the best premier, the best Canadian premier in modern history. And when Brad Wall was premier, his government, of which Scott Moe was a part, so that's weird. Um, Brad Wall's government did contract out elective surgeries, cataracts, some orthopedics, et cetera, in order to, to alleviate backlogs. They had allowed a private MRI clinic to deliver MRI services on a one-for-one basis. So if they did one for private sector direct payment, they would provide one for the public system. And that worked out beautifully until Justin Trudeau decided to change the Canada Health Act and not allow that private clinic to operate. But that's another story. The Bradwall government actually managed to reduce those wait times and to reduce those backlogs back in the early 2010s. And it was successful. Not only was it successful in catching up some of these backlogs on electives, they also saved 46% over what what these procedures would have cost in the public system. Now, those figures came from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation and the Fraser Institute. So then we look at it and say, okay, so if at that time the federal government was only putting in about 17% of healthcare funding and we, the people of Saskatchewan, were saving 46% on these electives, maybe the time would have been then to say, stick your 17 cents on the dollar up your ass, Mr. Trudeau, and we will do things our way. And maybe if Brad Wall had stuck around for a while, he might have done that. But Scott Moe, unfortunately, loves to capitulate to Ottawa, talk big, and then give in. And that seems to be his MO. And so now he has said that, Oh, yes, we'll contract out some services, but people are still going to have to pay. Well, totally dumb move on your part, Mr. Moe. Absolutely dumb move. 
If you're going to do that, then why don't you at least contract somebody here in Saskatchewan to take care of this work so that at least people don't have to travel all the way to another province? Absolutely ridiculous. And it's just yet one more symptom of how horribly broken healthcare is in this country, how horribly broken it is. But I guess you better not let federal bureaucrats start getting a, getting a sniff of these people waiting for orthopedics because maybe they'll suggest they should just die too. Ridiculous. All right, Canada, we've got a few minutes to go here. We've got one more topic, and this will be a little bit of a lighter note, so hopefully we can at least uh, end the show with a smile. Now, Bonita Zarilo, who is a, an NDP MP in, in British Columbia, Port Moody Coquitlam is her riding in the greater Vancouver area, she tweeted Tuesday of last week, quote, is indoor skating ice even a necessity anymore? Can every ice sport be done without ice and different equipment? End quote. The backlash was so strong, she deleted the, the tweet fairly quickly. But she did go on to talk about, you know, synthetic ice alternatives. And she did say that artificial ice is bad for the environment. Um, I'm guessing because it's a waste of water or maybe it's the equipment needed to keep it cool. I don't know exactly where she was going with, with it being bad for the environment, but it went to read more about Miss Zarilo. You realize that she was described as an environmentalist. Whew, well, there's a big surprise there. And that hope, wait, wait for it, Canada. She's against pipelines and she opposes the trans mountain pipeline expansion. Well, she shouldn't have too much to worry about there. Lewis and I have said several times that that particular project is probably never going to get completed anyway because the BC government doesn't want it and you get morons like this lady who are opposed to it and always find some way to get some injunction to stop construction. They stopped it over a bird's nest once already uh, and, it is, and now she's with a group of other MPs who want to have the pro project stopped for the winter to be resumed in the spring. Yeah, right. So, uh, yeah, there's no question that she's an environmentalist. Obviously, she is probably just couldn't get elected as a Greens and realized she'd best run for the NDP, which is, well, where a lot of Greenies have gone, honestly. So, back to the hockey slash skating rinks being bad for the environment. So, her suggestion is that, well, perhaps we should just look at some different equipment. So stars on ice, for example, could be stars on synthetic polymer plastic. Yes, synthetic ice, ladies and gentlemen. Her suggestion is we should perhaps look at synthetic ice. And there are venues around the world that actually do use synthetic ice. Big surprise, most of those are in climates where it doesn't get cold. Bear in mind, there are many, many rinks in this, in this country that don't use artificial ice because we live in a country where it gets cold enough in winter that we can use natural ice. And they do that. And they will just run their Zamboni over it so that they can smooth it out with a little bit of water. So it's not like they have equipment making ice in every single rink in this country. That world's largest skating rink on the Rideau Canal in Ottawa, for example, just, you know, down the road from the 
$8 million rink that the Trudeau government made in Ottawa for no reason whatsoever? Yeah, but Rideau Canal, well, that's all natural ice. And I don't know if this lady would want to cover it up with some polymer sheets, or, or maybe she wants to recreate Trudeau's $8 million skating rink using synthetic ice panels. What she doesn't understand, or what she probably knows full well and just chooses to ignore, is that synthetic ice is also going to be damaging to the environment. How? Well, in its production. You see, natural ice, especially in Canada, where we can have the cold weather make the ice for us, or even in the, the conditions where they are in, a, in some of the indoor rinks for professional ice, it's, well, it's water. It's water that is frozen. And yes, maybe that will use up some of the, some the, uh, the chemicals that we use in air conditioning. It'll be, it'll be kept, kept cold by, well, by a cold temperature, so by AC, and be kept cold by putting cold water on it, smoothing it out, etc. But that's not exactly an environmental disaster when you're freezing water and brushing water over that frozen water. I decided to look up synthetic ice alternatives and there's basically what a synthetic ice is made of is a polymer, polymer sheets that are made from polyethylene plastic. Now, polyethylene plastic is our pop bottles, our pop bottles that get recycled into, well, I've seen carpet come from, from uh, pop bottles. I've seen pet toys, a little tunnel my cat runs through, for example, is polyethylene plastic. It's the most recyclable plastic we have. So there is, a, there is an eco argument to be made, but they still have to be formed into these polymer sheets that interlock, whether it's a tongue and groove design or however they interlock, but they do put these sheets together. And of course, any of the websites you go to that sell this stuff, just sing the praises of how wonderful it is and how it's the, the skate skaters can actually go faster on this ice than they can on natural ice. Well, nobody ever claimed the speed was a problem in the NHL, for example, but I digress. These polymer sheets are still made with plastics. Plastics come from petroleum. Uh, Miss Cirillo, remember you hate the oil patch? You hate that Trans Mountain pipeline that could help make these plastics to make these polymer sheets for synthetic ice and this neither the manufacturers will tell you they have to put a lubricant on that synthetic ice in order to make it nice and smooth for people to skate on it well that lubricant is going to come from <laughs> petroleum products so this lady who opposes pipelines opposes the petroleum industry opposes fossil fuels didn't think that one through, did she? So yes, we could use synthetic ice made from plastics, which are made from petroleum. And of course, plastics are something that the Trudeau government just it keeps talking about banning. Oh yes, we need to ban our single-use plastics. And I get it. These would not qualify as single-use plastics because they're polyethylenes. But still, you are employing that evil, evil oil and gas industry 
to help make these plastics. You are burning fossil fuels in the recycling of these plastics to make into these polymer sheets to make the synthetic ice. You are directly using petroleum products to make lubricants for this synthetic ice. So tell me where the win is here. Tell me where the win is in using up fossil fuels to make the synthetic ice as opposed to freezing water and brushing that frozen water with water. I'm going to leave it there. Bonita Zarillo, you are an idiot. You are not as dumb as your leader, Jagmeet Singh, but you are still a world-class idiot. So thank you for joining me, Canada, again. And I hope that you can actually hear me this time around. And I will take a, a listen just to make certain that you have heard me this time around. So until next week, uh, you can expect a rant or two because there are some topics I had to leave on the table today just for time, but they still are things I want to talk about. So until next week, thank you so much for joining me. It is Tony in Saskatchewan, and we will talk to you soon. Good night.